0: Precious local produce at the best prices. That's why we created a service time for you. Because it's the best produce in town. New service time on Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Starting September 8th at Stapleton Church.
1: everybody. I'm so glad that you're here. We are starting a new series today and there's going to be some similarities to what you've been seeing before. We're still going to be using the Bible. That's good. In fact, we're going through the book of Ruth starting today for the next four weeks. So if you have a Bible, you can already go ahead and open it up to Ruth chapter one. But as you can tell, it looks a little different. Not only are we sitting in these cool comfy chairs, but Melissa is here to join me with for this series. So would you welcome her warmly?
0: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's been really um, a great experience already so far working with that. So that's good. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in Moab, Utah, in a Christian family. And I have two older brothers and we attended a Baptist church there growing up. And there was one night my mom and I were on a walk. I was probably maybe like 16 we were just kind of talking about future stuff like college and just where my life would take me. And she stopped and looked at me and said, I think you're going to marry a pastor. And I kind of felt like the spirit, you know, and I was like, I think so too. And then it was just a, a couple of years later at CSU that I met Matt and well, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> and, um, And then uh, while Matt was in seminary, I taught second grade, which is really the only public speaking experience that I have. And all the people I taught to were like four feet tall. So if you just all stay seated, I think I'll be okay.
1: And raise your hands if you have questions. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad Melissa is joining me for this series. Now, you guys probably don't know, but behind the scenes, she helps me so much with a ton of stuff, but especially my sermon. She gives me a lot of good feedback, and she helps me. I'll run an idea by her for a sermon or for a series, and she'll help craft it and make it so much better. So I'm glad now she gets to actually be up front, and you guys get to see how great she is, and I'm excited about that, and I think it's going to be especially good for this series through Ruth.
0: Yeah, Ruth is a great book and uh, one of the things that I enjoyed a lot about it when we were studying while we were studying was it's about two women that's like the main characters of the of the book but more importantly it's really a story of God's great redemption and he takes these two women from rock bottom the worst of the worst to complete redemption and I think we all kind of like a story that has a happy ending, and this is definitely that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be really good. This is a story of redemption. You know, it is about these two women, and it's, there's some incredible female characters throughout the Bible. In fact, the very first people to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead were women, you know? So there's a lot of great female characters, but there are only two books of the Bible named after women, Ruth and Esther. Okay, this section over here knows their Bible. What are you guys doing? I'm kidding. But yeah, there's only two books, and in this story, a lot of people, though, kind of mistakenly interpret this because they see, oh, this is a great story. It's an old-fashioned romance where a guy swoops in, the man swoops in to save the day, and we don't think that's quite right. We don't think that's quite right. There is a Redeemer in this story that comes, and he helps these two women out of a terrible situation, but we really think that points to our great Redeemer, God, and how he is the Redeemer for all of us in our desperate difficult situations and that's why we've entitled this series redeemed when all seems lost
0: yeah, and a, a lot of times when i've heard ruth taught to it's kind of like okay here's how you'd be a good daughter-in-law to your mother-in-law kind of thing. and i don't really, we don't really think that's really
1: yeah. it. not really it either. right that's not it either hey, hey sonny real quick i think there's a gate on this microphone if we can take it off i think it's cutting out we have a great sound to crew, A.V. back there. Can you give them a hand? Okay, thank you, Sonny. Yeah, so we're excited about this series going into Ruth, When All Seems Lost. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now we're going to go through this entire book during this series. Um, but we're not going to actually read every verse or every word as we go through these long extended chapters, but every word, every verse is important, so we encourage you to read that on your own as we go through this series. So we start at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. First sentence, two major problems. Things are not starting good in this book two things. So it was the days when the judges ruled. Now, if you aren't familiar with your biblical timeline, this is after God's people had been freed from slavery in Egypt. They wandered around the desert for 40 years and then finally God led them into the promised land. The book of Joshua tells about them finally entering in this land flowing with milk and honey where everything would, would be great. But as soon as they enter into the promised land, people kind of fall away from God. They got what God had for them, and they're like, okay, we're going to do whatever we want. And in fact, in Judges um, 21, verse 25, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Basically, there was no leader of the nation. There's these 12 different tribes that are kind of separated out, and they do whatever they want, and people don't follow God's rules. There's no leader to protect them, nobody to watch over them, and to make matters worse. People are just kind of doing whatever they want. So it was a dangerous time. I mean, there's nobody to watch out for them. No police first to protect them. There's a lot of wars going on. So these judges or would be the leaders who'd rise up every few years, people like Samson or Gideon maybe you've heard of. But it was a very dark time. A lot of violence happened in that book if you've read through it. And this is the time where Ruth and Naomi are going to emerge from. So that's the first problem, nobody to protect them or lead them. And the second problem is that there was a famine in the land which means there was no food to eat.
0: I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine what that would have been like because most, most of us are always worried about eating too much in our society and culture. So, But I just think about, like, I think all moms can relate to dinner time whining with the little kids coming up to you like, I need to eat now, I need to eat now. You know, that happens in our house regularly. <laughs> um, and... I always have dinner cooking. It's ready in like five minutes, and that's never fast enough. And I just can't imagine what it would have been like for those people if there was nothing cooking. There was no food in the fridge, no grocery store. They couldn't just go to a restaurant and eat out. And I just can't imagine looking at your child and saying, there's nothing to eat you can't eat. And I don't know when the next time we'll be
1: able to eat. So things are pretty desperate from the beginning in just one sentence, and then they get worse. It says in the second sentence of verse 1, So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. So this man, the head of the household, Elimelech, decides, hey, I've got to do something to provide for my family. They've, they've got to eat, so we've got to leave the promised land, the nation of Israel, where God's people are, and we've got to go somewhere else. So they go to Moab. In case you're wondering, this is a different Moab than the one Melissa's from, okay? This is Moab, Middle East, which is modern-day Jordan, if you know your um, geography. So, It's not very far as the crow flies as you can see in this map from that small town of Bethlehem. You may have heard of that town. And they go to Moab, which is probably 30 miles as the crow flies, around the Dead Sea. But it would have been in the desert. They would have had to walk there. It would have taken days to travel that far. But even though it's not very far distance, it's a completely different nation, a completely different culture. They spoke a different language, a different people. This was away from God's people, their friends and their family. This was away from the land, and it was where they would worship a different God this was not the God of the Bible the God of Israel the Moabites worshipped a God named Chemosh a false God and it's kind of notorious because people would sacrifice their children in worship to this God so pretty evil spiritual place too and even darker place that they're traveling to because they just want to survive and if you know anything about where the Moabites came from it's pretty bleak as well there's this story in the book of Genesis where there's this guy named Lot you can remember him because he had a lot of problems He lived in another town named Sodom, heard of that, and he had to escape. God protected his life. He left with his family. His wife dies on the road, another crazy story, and he's there with his daughters living in a cave, and his daughters decide they want to have children, so they get their dad drunk, sleep with him. and that's where the Moabites come from. Real (laughs) exciting, right? An incestuous relationship forms a nation, worships a demon god, sacrifices their children, and this is right where Elimelech brings his family into and then things get even worse. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malin and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband.
0: So in the first five verses of the book... It's just them, just the women left. They they lost all their men. And in that culture, that was really bad because if you didn't have a husband or a son, then there was no one to take care of you. There was no one to carry on your family name. And so that meant destitution. And I'm sure when Naomi was headed on the road to Moab, she probably thought things were pretty bad. But then her husband died, and she probably thought, wow really hard pretty bad but things just kind of kept getting worse for her and then with the death of her two children and I think it's kind of tough for us to imagine that much loss because most people we know or ourselves have, haven't experienced that much loss but it's amazing that she was still standing she had no children no husband And that meant deep grief, destitution, emotional turmoil and pain, and just pretty much bleak misery and hopelessness for them.
1: And some of you maybe have felt what that's like. Maybe not those exact circumstances, but you felt like things are bad and then they get worse. And then you look at your life and you're like, how did I get here? How did things get this bad? I wish I could just hit a reset button. It's like you're in this bad dream and you keep hoping you'll wake up, but you never do. That's the situation they were in. They felt completely lost, broken, all seemed lost for these women. And these three women have to do something. They have to do something. And then word comes from Israel that things were getting better, that God was doing something again in Israel, that the promised land was able to produce food again. Naomi hears about this, and she decides, I have to do something. I mean, that's what we have to do when we're in those desperate situations. You've got to do something. I've got to take some step forward. So Naomi decides to pack up what little belongings she had, grab her two daughters-in-law, and head back on that 30-mile trek walking to Bethlehem. And there they were on this dusty, dirt road, walking, carrying the little that they had on their backs, on a dusty road under the Middle Eastern sun. And there Naomi stops. She turns around and looks at her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth said daughters I love you God bless you but it's time for you to go home you need to go to Bo- go back to Moab because there's nothing left if you come with me and they weep and cry and they hug each other there on the road and Orpah hears that message and and, and Ruth hears it and they say No, no no we can't go we can't go back we're going with you you're our only family that we have And again, Naomi says, no, 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 you don't get it. You don't get it because I'm old. I'm not going to have any more children. And even if I were somehow miraculously to have a son, are you going to wait 18 years for him to get old enough for you to marry him? And then maybe you can have children. Then you'll be too old to have children. I have nothing left for you. You need to go home to your people, your culture, your God. You've got to go home. And Orpah hears that. And though they weep, though they hug, she says, okay. And she starts walking home to Moab. But then Naomi and Ruth are standing on that dirt road together.
0: that left Ruth with a pretty big decision. Um, And Ruth and her husband had been married for quite a while. And in those days, they didn't try to prevent conception. So she was probably dealing with infertility also, which is another type of pain that, on top of losing her husband, and she probably felt pretty hopeless um, just with not having a child and wondering for her own self what she was going to be doing without an heir, without a child to eventually take care of her. And then when her husband died, that hope probably was even less. And so as she was standing there with Naomi um, trying to figure out what to do, she was really, I think, compelled to go toward the God of hope because she needed some, some hope in this desperately hopeless situation. And so she decides to go to Bethlehem with Naomi to go after the God of hope.
1: That's right. Ruth makes a decision there on that road to Bethlehem. And though Orpah tries to stop her, Ruth declares one of the most powerful words in this book and maybe the entire Bible and she says in verse 16, Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. This declaration of saying, I'm going with you. But even more than that, she's saying, I'm going with your god there's something different about your god than the religion i grew up and there's something different and i want to go where that god is where his people are because there's got to be something better for me than this i've got to go with you now this passage maybe you've heard it at a wedding you heard that as a scripture reading at a wedding maybe it was the scripture reading at your own wedding i always thought it was an odd passage for people to pick because i'm like this is about a mother-in-law to her daughter-in-law However, it made sense to me a few years ago because I was asked by a couple, Lucy and Larry, to do a vow renewal ceremony for their 15th anniversary, and they picked this scripture. And I thought about their life. You see, Lucy had grown up in Colombia, and when she met Larry, she knew that marrying him, she would have to leave her nation, her culture, her family, her, her language to live in the United States and probably spend the rest of her life and even die there away from her people. And that's what Lucy was saying when she decided to get married to Larry. And and I think it's so powerful that we see that. Ruth is saying, I'm leaving everything behind. I may never see anyone I know ever again. But she's willing to make this move because she's leaving what she has behind for what God has for her in the future.
0: Yeah, and what courage and faith that must have taken for her to leave everything like that and to go to a place where she had never been before. And here's Naomi, the one person that she cares about, left telling, telling her, don't do it, don't go. And I think that's amazing that she's still thinking about going. Have you ever been compelled by God to do something and all the people you care about are discouraging it? It makes it really hard to do the thing that God is telling you to do.
1: Yeah, and that's really what it is, a courageous act of faith that Ruth gives here she's saying i'm going to go where your god is your god's going to be my god a lot of people call this passage of scripture ruth's conversion now it's possible that this was the first moment that she ever made the god of israel the god of the bible her god we don't know she may have come to faith earlier but whatever it is this is a declaration of faith i believe and i'm going and i think that's so amazing because that's what faith is it's trusting, in the words of Cory Ten Boom, an unknown future to a known God. Something's better with this God, I'm going with Him. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we are taught that this is what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's what faith is. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that this God is worth it and He will take me to the next step. So I'm just going to follow Him one step at a time, and in verse two of that chapter, it says, "This is what the ancients were commended for." Ruth is one of those ancients. She's a pillar of faith for us, even to this day, to look at her and say she had such faith, willing to leave everything behind to find something better with this God. It's an act of faith. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. would would once say, um, "Faith is taking the first step." even when you don't see the rest of the staircase. That's what faith is. And that's what Ruth shows us an example of here. Faith is taking that first step. It's trusting God with the future. Faith is not saying the Apostles' Creed. It's not agreeing with the church's statement of faith. It's saying, I'm going to leave whatever I have to follow that God wherever he leads me. That's what Ruth shows us here in her courageous statement. She's going to God. So what happens next, though, is that these two women are dealing with a lot. Ruth has had so many bad things happen to her. Naomi has had so much tragedy and grief that she's feeling and dealing with that they're bringing that back with them to Bethlehem. So in verse 19, we pick up the story again, and it says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara because the almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So she walks into this town. She says, I've changed my name. You haven't seen me for a decade, and I'm a completely different person now. I have a new identity. See, the name Naomi actually means pleasant. Now she's saying, call me Mara, which literally translates to bitter. I'm bitter now. That's who I am. It's my identity.
0: And she was walking into this tiny little town, and I'm from a really small town, so I kind of know what that's like, and... People talk when things like this happen. Bethlehem was like 200 people, so it would have been kind of the talk of the town. Do you know that feeling you get when you're thinking about going to a a high school reunion? And you're like trying to spiffy yourself up and like look really good for everybody? I think about that with this because she was walking back to that town, but she had nothing good to show for a whole decade of living. In fact, it was the opposite. She had... No job, ragged clothes, no spouse, no kids, no home. And there was no Facebook, so people wouldn't have been keeping up with her journey along the way. They would have just seen this ragged, weathered, homeless widow drag herself back into town. And in that moment when they see her, she just completely takes on the identity of her trialing years. She wears it like a name tag. And sometimes when... We've been in the throes of a trial for a really long time. It's easy to do that, to just make it who you are. It's how you see yourself, so then you think that's how other people see you. And Ruth was dealing with her own new identity that neither of them wanted the things that happened to them, but they were just wearing it. And the thing is, though, it doesn't have to stay that way. And it didn't have to stay that way for them. Because God is the one who says who we are, not our past.
1: And it is so hard because our past can kind of cloud our, our present and our future. I'm reminded of the very last line of the book, uh, The Great Gatsby. Maybe you read it when you're in high school English class. But the very last line of this tragedy says, um, So we beat on boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. And sometimes it feels that way because of our past, because of all the things that have happened to us that we can't overcome them. It's like those huge waves that are crashing down and we're in this little dinghy. Or or think of like the movie The Castaway, you know, when Tom Hanks is trying to get off the island, he builds the boat and he's out there rowing as hard as he can, but the waves keep pushing him back and back and back. Can't overcome it. And that's what it feels like with our past. I can't overcome that. That's who I am now. It's not only who I am right now in the present, but for the future. I can't overcome this identity. But God can.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's hard to not let our past become the lens through which we see our present and future. But God isn't the kind of God who leaves us there. He's the God who redeems. So stick with us through this story. Because even though Naomi and Ruth felt like bitterness was all there there was left, it wasn't. Because God didn't forget about them. He didn't forsake them. He didn't leave them in their grief, anger, and pain. He brought them from bitter to better.
1: That's what we want you to hear. Only God can bring you from bitter to better. Only God can do that. And he will do that for both Ruth and Naomi. So you need to stick with us. You're not going to hear the end of the story today. But I do want you to see in verse 22. Verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. There's food. There's this hint of hope, finally, for these women. And as you stick with this story, you're going to see their story of redemption from the lowest of the lows, when all seem lost, that God would restore them, redeem them, and bring them back. And that's what God can do for all of us. He can. Because we know... That in that same small town of Bethlehem, somebody else would be born. A child, a young boy named Jesus. And Jesus had a pretty tough life. He never married. He didn't have any kids. And then his own friends, who he loved and spent time with for years, they ditched him. He felt the, the same emotions that these women would have experienced that we do. Uh, on the night that he knew his, one of his best friends was going to betray him, he wept He wept all night long, tears of grief, tears of pain, tears of blood, literally. He had it hard, and then he was betrayed, and they arrested him. They beat him. They spit on him and mocked him, and then they gave him a false trial before hanging him up on a cross to die. And do you know what he cried out? He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For Jesus, it seemed like all was lost. And then some some boy took a sponge because they knew Jesus was in that same Middle Eastern sun and the sun was beating down on him. He must have been thirsty, dying there on a cross. And they took a sponge and they dipped it in vinegar, put it on a stick and shoved it in Jesus' mouth. Literally the last thing he tasted was bitterness. But he tasted that bitterness for us. And we know that God took him from bitter to better because on the third day after Jesus had died, and killed and put in the grave, he rose from the dead, conquering over death, over Satan, over the suffering and evil and anguish that he experienced. And God shows us that he has power over whatever our past is. That when we put our faith in Jesus, we too can have that victorious power in our own life to overcome our past. And our identity doesn't need to be broken, or broke, or hurt, or infertile, or divorced, or failure, or whatever we're carrying from our past. In Jesus Christ, we have a new identity. We can be redeemed, forgiven, set free. That we can be beloved children of God. We have a new identity in Christ, and that's what we need to cry out for today. So I know there's some of you here today that are struggling. Your whole past is weighing down on you. You still feel guilt or a burden from the past. And it's time to go to God, the one God who through Jesus Christ shows us that we can move from bitter to better. So if you're here and you're feeling broken, only God can take you from broken to built up. If you're feeling hopeless, God can bring you from hopeless to hopeful, from purposeless to purposeful. He can bring you, no matter where you've been, He can bring you from mourning to dancing, from lamenting to singing a love song. He can help overcome whatever your past is. But we've got to turn to Him because He and He alone can do it just like He would do for Naomi and Ruth. He can do for us. So are you willing to turn to that Jesus right now in faith? Saying, I don't know the future. There's still going to be hard stuff. But I know that this God, with this God, it's better than anything I'm leaving behind. That he has hope for me. And if you're willing to do that, it's time to turn to God right now. So would you please stand with me right now? Lord God, I know with with everybody's eyes closed, I know that there are people here today who are struggling. That they're suffering from their past or, or their present right now. It seems so bleak. And just when things can't seem to get any worse, they do get worse. Lord God, I know that there are men, women, and teenagers, children here this morning who are struggling. And I pray that you give them a glimpse of your hope this morning. I I pray that the bitterness they would feel right now would, would turn better. That you would give them hope. And if you're here with your eyes closed, if you're saying, I need this hope, but I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ before, but if today you're ready and willing to do that, trusting your unknown future to a known God, if you're willing to do that, would you please raise your hand? If you want to declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. just want to see your hand. Praise God. Praise God. What I want to ask you to do right now is just say this simple prayer. So I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me. Even if you've said this prayer before, let's join with those who today for the first time are willing to say that prayer. Lord God, I need your help. I need your hope. I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I have a past. But I ask you to help me overcome it. Please forgive me. Give me your Holy Spirit. Help lead me into a better future. Lord, help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. Lord God, uh, we are just so grateful for these men and women who made that decision today. We, We... celebrate with the angels in heaven that they are willing to make that decision, just like Ruth did, saying, I'm going with that God wherever he takes me because it's got to be better than what I've come from. And Lord God, all of us right now, we cry out to you for that hope and help that only you can give because only you can take us from bitterness to better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few things. If you made that decision for the first time, I want to see you in the back. We have a special bag with some gifts for you, and we just want to encourage you on this journey of faith. If you're here, though, and you're still struggling, you're in a hard spot, you you feel bleak, we brought up some baggage today. If that's you, I'm going to be in the back or on the sides. We're going to have some prayer team, elders, staff. We want to pray with you. We're going to be here for you to just encourage you and pray with you. And then for all of us right now, we're going to do something different in this praise time that we normally do. What we are going to do is what's called a lament. You heard of that? A lament is a very biblical term. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, because sometimes we just need to cry out in our bitterness and anger and pain and our grief and turn it over to God. That's what Naomi did. It's what Job would do. The entire book of Job is like that. It's what David would do as he wrote a bunch of the Psalms. It's what Jesus did. When that anger and bitterness we're feeling, we're turning it over to God and casting out on Him. Because only God can bring us from bitter to better or turn our lament into a love song.